Tonight I'd like to explore, and use as much of kind of an experiential approach as possible, how we can wake up from thought forms. And the, um, probably what most of you have realized so far is that it's probably the most challenging piece of learning to meditate is to begin to realize that we've been off and drifting and learn to come back again because the realm of our mental movies is incredibly seductive. For a lot of us, there's kind of a buried assumption as we learn meditation practice, which is that we're mostly not doing it right, that we're mostly falling short, that we don't quite get it, and that we're not really cut out for it. And I say buried because almost everybody I talk to in some way feels like it's a really hard thing and I'm just not making the grade. And a lot of people I know have become kind of resigned to, well, it helps me relax some, but the real stuff people get out of it's not my thing, you know. The idea is that everybody else is sitting quite still like a, you know, deep, profound, serene Buddha, and I'm just off in these kind of mundane thoughts, and sometimes my thoughts are like sitcoms, and sometimes they're, you know, just like, you know, total dribble, but everyone else is going deep. And um, in case you're thinking like that, um, you're not alone. (laughs) Ajahn Buddhadasa, who um, is a meditation teacher from Asia, described it this way. He He was asked really to describe the world. And he said, lost in thought, (laughs) all of us. (laughs) There's a depressing statistic some of you know that says that we have 60,000 thoughts a day and that 98% of them are the same ones we had yesterday. Now, even if you question the research methodology, <laughs> which you might, um, there's something about that that resonates. You know, we, we really have a familiar kind of film that goes through that we get lost in, and it's over and over. And some of it's quite stress-inducing. And even though we know that, even though we know we're thinking thoughts that make us feel bad about ourselves and our life, we just keep on thinking them. Mark Twain put it this way, he said, the most terrible things in my life never actually happened. (laughs) So what we do here in practice is acknowledge that this is the given. The given is that we get lost in thought and that there's absolutely, not not only is there nothing wrong, it's like having a heartbeat or something like that. It's, it's what makes us distinctly human in terms of the sophistication of our thoughts. And there's wonderful creative parts of it. But we do get lost and under the control of these thought processes. So we'll explore how meditation really is an invitation to wake up, not to get rid of thoughts, but to have some choice so that we can make use of them but have a much more vibrant and present and wakeful experience. And classically these bells, these mindfulness bells, 
have been part of the paraphernalia, you know, they've been used as a way to bring us back. So as I talk, and we'll do some exercises and meditations, and so this isn't all talk. That would be a real problem when you're talking about thinking. <laughs> um, periodically I'll just stop and, and let that pause be an invitation using the bell for you to kind of explore dropping everything, whatever thoughts, whatever ever is going on, and reconnecting. Because that's the muscle we're developing, this capacity to kind of let go and arrive again in sacred presence, to come back. And if we can learn it here, if we can kind of catch on to just dropping it all, and it takes some real willingness to let go, we can begin through our day to wake up more and more. So more of our life is real life. We're here for it. Ready? The invitation is to inquire what's real right now, what's true. It's to sincerely look at this moment's experience and not from a detached witnessing perspective. To look and relax into what's here this moment. This is what's called a a being state, a being versus doing. And as probably everyone here knows, it's, it's the essence of every spiritual tradition to wake up out of our habitual mode, at least a few of those 60,000 thoughts a day, to kind of wake up out of, and reconnect with these being states, which are really timeless. There's no future, there's no past. They're boundless. There's no center, there's no periphery. They're just these wakeful, qualities of awareness that we come to rest in. So there's different traditions and different ways home. And really what you're doing in this life, what we're all doing, is finding out, and it's all an experiment, what works. You know, what works today to wake me up? And it's really helpful to keep beginner's mind on it because what works one day can get habituated and we can desensitize and and have an idea of the state that we're trying to get to and not drop in in a fresh way. So one of the signposts of really genuine awakening is this beginner's mind, this kind of curiosity. Okay, I've never been to a meditation class. I've never meditated and been here just like this moment is. What is it like if you really let this moment be as unique and precious as it can be. Not like we're on our way to get through the talk so that we can then get to the this, to the that, to going home, to getting to next week, to getting to the retreat we've planned next month, to whatever, getting married, (laughs) whatever we're doing. Letting this moment count. So every spiritual tradition has its own style of 
waking us up to this moment. It could be yoga or singing or chanting or sweat lodges or vision quests, prayer. And then within it, we each find our own particular style too. But it's all not taking us down a path somewhere else. The common denominator is we're arriving in what's really, truly here now. And we have these ideas that we're going somewhere. But it's really about coming home to who we are. This unchanging awareness that is the source of our being. Now when we get caught in the waves of thought, and this is the reason it becomes so important to work with thoughts, when we're identified with the waves, with the worry or the planning or whatever it is, the fantasy, we forget the ocean. We forget the source, what that wave belongs to, where it came from, where it's going to. And then we get small. One of my teachers, and I've never sat with him directly, but he's a teacher of mine, Punjaji, writes that you are the unchanging awareness in which all activity takes place. Everything that's being experienced this moment pleasant or unpleasant, sounds, feelings, all belongs to awareness. You are the unchanging awareness in which all activity takes place. To deny this is to suffer. To know this is freedom. Waking up out of thoughts is waking up into this awareness, into who we are. Now, you can open your eyes if you'd like and just kind of sense this. It's not so easy, and there's a really good reason it's not easy to wake up out of thoughts. Thoughts are probably the most pronounced, highly developed part of our survival equipment. We use thoughts to try to get what we want and avoid what we don't want. And because getting pleasure and avoiding pain is critical to our survival, we're very attached to these thoughts. We rely on them and lean on them and identify with them. And there's nothing wrong with thoughts being a survival tool. The problem is they operate like a map, but we think they're the real thing. In a moment of being lost in thought, we actually think that's reality. We forget that it's just images and sound bites that are temporarily arising in awareness. Now we get it that other people have faulty maps, right? (laughs) Isn't it true? Some of you know this, that saying that, um, oh gosh, everybody thinks that they're right, it's something like that, but we all think we're right in some way. So we realize others are faulty. We realize sometimes with young children that because they haven't had a chance to mature and see the world that their ideas about things are maybe a little bit skewed. Somebody sent me this email and this is um, children's kind of uh, version of what marriage is about. 
Marriage is when you get to keep your girl and don't have to give her back to her parents. <laughs> That's Eric, age six. And then concerning the proper age at which to get married. 84, because at that time you don't have to work anymore and you can spend all your time loving each other in your bedroom. <laughs> That's Carolyn, age eight. How did your mom and dad meet? Well, they were at a dance party at a friend's house. Then they went for a drive, but their car broke down. It was a good thing because it gave them a chance to find out about their values. <laughs> Lottie, age nine. So the big challenge is, how true are our thoughts since we subscribe to them so fully? Now here's a little exercise just to Bring to mind someone that you know. Just pick someone that you know medium well. And as you think about this person, think about what they look like and how they act and whatever kind of comes to mind that represents them to you. Now imagine that somebody's thinking of you this way. You know, getting an image of you and thinking about some memories or your behavior and so on. What's the relationship between ideas about you and the actuality of who you are? How close can any idea about you approximate the living reality? Could anyone's images or memories of you begin to match how you experience yourself from the inside? This is the difference between any map and the territory that it's meant to represent. But what happens is we go around making assumptions about the world. We make assumptions about other people based on this very thin map with not that much information on it and without having any real understanding of who's there, what's going on from the inside. Something else sent to me recently. A lady approaches her priest and tells him, Father, I have a problem. I have two female talking parrots, but they only know how to say one thing. What do they say? The priest inquired. They only know how to say, hi, we're prostitutes, want to have some fun? That's terrible, the priest exclaimed, but I have a solution to your problem. Bring your two female parrots over to my house and I will put them with my two male talking parrots whom I taught to pray and read the Bible. And he paused, thinking fondly of these devoted birds. My parrots will teach your parrots to stop saying that terrible phrase and your female parrots will learn to praise and worship. Thank you, the woman responded. You tell what's coming? (laughs) The next day, the woman brings her female parrots to the priest's house. His two male parrots are holding rosary beads and praying in their cage. (laughs) The lady puts her two female parrots in with the male parrots. Immediately, the female parrots say, Hi, we're prostitutes. Want to have some fun? One male parrot looks over at the other male parrot and exclaims, Put the beads away. Our prayers have been answered. (laughs) 
I mean, how do we know when someone's looking pious what they're thinking about? <laughs> how do we know? So, in the Buddhist tradition, there is an ongoing emphasis on how we get attached to our map and we really, in those moments, are not connected with the living reality. We're not connected with what's here. And it's been described as mistaking the finger that's pointing to the moon for being the moon. We forget. Now, spiritual life, and this is true for any cosmology or worldview, anything I say in a Dharma talk, it's all words and ideas. They can be useful, they might not be useful, but the only way they become genuinely awakening is if we connect with the experience from the inside. And that has to be here and it has to be now. We can't have some idea of spiritual life in the future or the past. Any real awakening is going to be because we drop all our ideas and let this moment matter. Zen Master Dogen, the human mind has absolute freedom as its true nature. There are thousands upon thousands of students who have practiced meditation and obtained this realization. Do not doubt the possibilities because of the simplicity of the method. If you can't find truth where you are, where else do you expect to find it? The where else that we expect to find it is in our thoughts. We think we can think our way to answers that matter. And the truth is we can think our way to solving all sorts of problems. But our thoughts are not the source of who we are and will not take us to the depth of where wisdom lives. I love the uh, words of Emerson on this. He says, within us, is the soul of the whole. When it breaks through our intellect, it is genius. When it breathes through our will, it is virtue. When it flows through our affections, it is love. So to be mindful of thoughts is to neither reject them or be lost in them, but open to the awareness that recognizes and includes them, the soul of the whole. Now I'd like to invite you to explore, to investigate a little, what are these thoughts? So if you're not already, please close your eyes. Make yourself comfortable, take a few full breaths. And imagine a movie screen before you and simply wait for thoughts to arise. And because you're not doing much right now, you might notice them quickly. 
And when a thought does arise, and it can be a thought in the form of images, it can be a thought in the form of words, it can be a combination, kind of a silent voice, but you can hear the words anyway. Notice what they're like when thoughts come. And explore your sense of where they're coming from. After you recognize them, where do they go to? Okay, so I'd be interested if anyone um, would like to share a bit what you noticed about thoughts, what your sense was in terms of where they arise from, where they go to, anything you experienced. Could you all, could you hear that? So there's a sense of kind of some, a space or a body of water or whatever and things bubbling to the top, you know, floating to the top or di- and then disappearing. When you notice them, they kind of seem to go away from your viewpoint. Yeah, thank you. What else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And were they 
ongoing colors or were they colors just when you became aware of thoughts or what? Yeah? So sometimes when you're paying attention to thoughts you can notice that there's real, it can be explosions of color, it can be designs, visual phenomenon. Great. What else? Where, where did you sense that these thoughts arose from? Where did they go to? So, emerging from a void, having a kind of chain reaction of thoughts to emotions to maybe other thoughts, and then when you recognize it again, some dissolving back into a void again. Yeah. Anyone else have that kind of experience where you notice it kind of came from some empty void and then dissolved back into it? Can I see by hands? Okay, thank you. Somebody else was going to say something right in here. Yeah. So for you, you could sense the energy of fear underneath the thoughts that kind of was making them come up so you could try to solve a problem and you kind of were holding on to them, which is something also that's very um, useful when you become mindful of thoughts. You can sense the energy that's driving them. Very good. Does anyone else want to say something? Yeah. This is interesting. It's a little different way of description rather than avoid. There's some sense of indescribably where it came from, but when you become aware of it, you follow it with the in-breath, and then with the out-breath, it's as if it just dissolves back into diffused space again. Interesting. Thank you. Okay, here's a, a description from the Tibetans. Thoughts are like magic displays that seem real when we are lost in them, but vanish upon inspection. Before the beginning you are pure consciousness. You are the fullness of love in love and the emptiness of awareness. There's a experience that many of you raised your hand and said you you kind of sensed that when we're not lost in thoughts, they're very ephemeral, as you described, kind of like a bubble or like the, in the eightfall. They, they kind of arise and they dissolve. They're not solid. They're not real in the sense of a continuous entity. 
And whether we call where they come from and where they go to the void or space or emptiness or diffused awareness, what we begin to realize is our thoughts are not who we are. That we're this kind of space that they happen into, they arise and they dissolve. And the more moments that you can notice that these waves are not who you are, that they're made of the water of your being, that they're part of the ocean. In fact, they never go very far from the source, do they? They kind of dissolve right back in. In that recognition, there's a freedom. We're not at the mercy. Now, the Buddha described it that when lost in them, we're shaped and created and led by thoughts in such a way that they filter our every experience. That's the power of this mental movie that we live in. And even back then, 2,500 years ago, being lost in thoughts was like, you know, the common thing, all day, all night. Thoughts are dreams. It's true, says one writer, we go through life thinking heavy thoughts. Thought particles tend to get caught between the ears, causing a condition called truth decay. (laughs) Meditation is another form of mental floss. And then some of you know, I won't read the whole thing, it's so cute though, Thinkers Anonymous, you know about this? It started out innocently enough, I began to think at parties now and then to loosen up. (laughs) Inevitably though, one thought led to another and soon I was more than just a social thinker. (laughs) I began to think alone to relax, I told myself, but I knew it wasn't true. Thinking became more and more important to me, and finally, I was thinking all the time. (laughs) Anyway, as the story goes, he hits bottom, and then he sees a sign, it's of course from Thinkers Anonymous, saying, friend, is heavy thinking ruining your life? (laughs) And then onward to recovery. But what's interesting about this is just as many of you know, because I'd say probably everybody has addiction either very active in our own body minds or in someone we love, that when we go into recovery, in other words, when we let go of the behavior that we've been using to run away, what happens? We have to face what we've been running away from. So, so many people, there's, there's frequently a, a grace period, like a honeymoon, you know, especially with alcoholics, but then there's really facing a huge amount of difficult emotions that the um, addiction was medicating. And it's the same thing when we stop thinking so much. You'll notice, those of you that have been practicing, that when we go thinking, thinking, and wake up out of a thought, there can be a kind of unpleasant, queasy, scary, disoriented feeling. It's not always there but it happens. And it's because that was there anyway, and it was driving, as one person described, so beautifully driving a lot of busy thinking. In fact, when you look closely, if you start waking up out of thoughts, you'll be able to sense that underneath thoughts, there's always an energy driving them. And if the thoughts are very charged, there's a lot of wanting and fearing going on. So when you wake up out of a charged thought, what do you wake up and feel in your body? that dukkha, that unpleasantness of wanting and fearing. There's a saying that what we want is both endless excitement 
and perfect peace all at once, you know. And that we keep stirring up thoughts because there's this kind of disoriented feeling of what to hold on to, who am I, where am I, what's going to happen? So we keep on generating more and more thoughts to keep our world either thrilled or, you know, filled with with um, stimulation are to try to calm ourselves down by worrying about things and trying to answer all our questions, plan for every contingency. So the response, Ajahn Chah describes it this way. He says, 70% of our time meditating is realizing that we have to let go of something, but being unable to do it. That we know that if we're in thoughts, we're in some way removed from the vitality of our being. And as many of you know, there's no real healing that goes on if we just sidestep something. You you have to go through, you have to open to where the experience lives in your body in order to really make peace with it and learn from it and let go. So we know we can't think our way into healing, but it's such a habit, it's very hard to sit in the raw intensity of embodied experience. Sense again what happens when you let go of everything and just drop in. The Buddha described it, the conceptual mind veils the living reality. It contorts our experience. If at any moment you can start sensing the difference between being inside a thought and being here, present, your senses awake, it's radical. It's a radically different world. So when we start sensing the truth of this, that there's a whole different reality that can lead us to living in a more creative and loving way, then it becomes rather compelling to begin to see, okay, how do I get lost in thought? And how do I wake up? That becomes compelling. It's not just kind of a nice idea. It's like Joseph Goldstein described it. I might have, some of you have mentioned this too. It was the first retreat I attended at the Insight Meditation Society and I was just drifting off into this thought and that thought and you know just going through all sorts of dramas and at one point in the middle of one talk he said what he did to himself he says I asked myself do I want to think or be free it's kind of black white thinking isn't it (laughs) but it's actually quite true it's not that thoughts aren't valuable but it takes a tremendous amount of training and commitment and care about what's real to learn this art of waking up out of thoughts. True wisdom arises in the silent awareness that's simply experiencing. Each of us wants to know the truth, but the only place to find it is in that silence. 
True love is felt not when we're thinking about a person, planning on the future, remembering the past. It's really beyond thoughts. I was with some Dharma friends last night and one woman described it this way, that the enormous pleasure that comes from just bearing witness to a blue heron taking off. No thoughts, just beholding life. Think of the things you value, what goes the most deeply, what's most cherished. It's not when we're remembering and planning and predicting. It's not in thoughts, it's when there's an openness and a receptivity and a deep appreciation for just what's here right now. There's a famous pianist, Arthur Rubinstein, and he was once asked a question from an ardent admirer. And the question was, how do you handle the notes as well as you do? His response, I handle notes no better than many others, but the pauses, ah, that's where the art resides. Do you understand? Thoughts are fine, but there's a space, there's an ocean that includes but is bigger than any thought, any idea, that's the source of our being. So we practice, we train ourselves to begin to recognize that we've been lost in these thoughts, to name it, to note it, and to come back to rest in just this moment, to discover the pause, to ask that question, where did this thought come from? Where did it go? And without having a concept of the void, the ocean, just looking and seeing, and then relaxing into the truth that we experience. Now, I am at the midpoint of this talk, so it's way too long, I realize, so I can't, I, I'm not going to be able to... <laughs> A little less than the midpoint. <laughs> so I think maybe instead of continuing on in, in, this, in this Dharma talk, what I'll do is continue it um, in two weeks, because we have a guest next week. But do a little bit more meditation and then open this for your questions and observations. So if you need to, stretch your legs for a few moments, and then please come sitting again. Notice what's happening during these moments of arriving, if there's a sense of waiting for something. 
Discover what it means to really belong to this moment. There might be pleasantness, there might be unpleasantness. There might be difficult emotions, restless, bored, sad, afraid, or happiness, peaceful, pleasant ones. And see if you can just include in awareness whatever waves are here right now with a friendly kind of attention. If it helps you to rest in the moment by letting the breath be at the center, then that's fine. You might be following the full breath or just the out breath. Or perhaps listening to sounds and sensing the spaciousness and the receptivity of a listening awareness. Let your intention be towards sacred presence, honoring just this moment, however it is, honestly, with kindness, if thoughts arise, to acknowledge them without any judgment and then pause. Wake up again out of the movie and into what's real. You might sense where the thought came from. You might sense where did it go? You might even look deeply and inquire, who is thinking? After looking, just let go. Let go into what's real, what's predominant. Just connect with this moment and this moment. We'll sit in silence for these next few minutes. Periodically, let the sounding of the mindfulness bell be an invitation to start fresh, absolutely awake, with a soft heart and a clear mind.
you are the unchanging awareness in which all activity takes place. To deny this is to suffer, to know this is freedom. It is not difficult to realize this because it is your true nature. Simply inquire, who am I? And watch carefully. Where does mind arise from? Where does thought come from? What is the source of this thought? When you look deeply, you will see that you have always been free, that everything has been a dream. Here and now is your heart. As love, you abide in the cave of this heart from where all time and space arise. Closing the meditation with the sound current of Om as we opened, feeling that heart, the present heart, the sacred heart, and chanting from that place in a wakeful way. Please inhale deeply. It's not very easy sometimes to ask questions in this larger group, but just to assure you that if you have a question, I guarantee others here have that same question. So you're doing a service. (laughs) So this is a, a chance if anyone would like to either ask something or share what you've been noticing, um, to please feel free.
I don't know if you could all hear what Nancy is bringing up, but this is great, because this is the experience of, okay, so you're having thoughts, and they're interesting or pleasant, and you'd much rather stay with them than drop into the moment where it might not be so pleasant and comfortable and so on. And the inner voice is going, I don't want to, right? (laughs) That's an important inner voice, and we get that one a lot. So the question is, so then what? So here we have these instructions to let go, let go, drop into where the body's experiencing, and what happens if you really don't want to, right? What I do with that is there's some, I'm always interested when I don't want to. So then the I don't want to experience becomes the place I start paying attention. In other words, I shift, I don't try to go anywhere but to write what's just presented itself, which is this kind of digging in my heels, I don't like this, I don't want to be here. And then the only thing to say is that to the extent that you can kind of say hello to that part, okay, so there's an aversion to being present, hello aversion, and relate in a friendly way, then it becomes interesting. You actually... And this is really whatever comes up. There's nothing that comes up that's wrong or that's a mistake or that you have to push away. And if what comes up is, I hate meditating, then you go, okay, hello part that hates meditating. (laughs) And to the extent that you can have the greatness of heart to say hello and kind of in some way respect, even the aversion, there is a sense of well-being that is much greater than if you had just kind of chased, it, chased down another thought. So the question comes, what, what are we doing this for? And if you really look deeply, we, we can have these temporary phases of pleasantness by staying lost in a pleasant thought or this or that or the other thing, but there's a real deep kind of confidence and happiness that comes when we get that sense of whatever comes up, I'm willing to be with it. So, aversion, okay, hello, aversion. And then see how friendly you can be towards it, kind of saying, come on out, let's see what you're about, <laughs> you know. Not analytically, but just inviting that too to be part of the scenario. Okay, thank you. Yeah. When you say divine awareness, what do you, and God, what do you mean by that? Just so I know what language... Okay, so what is the relationship then between an embodied awareness and universal awareness? Right. Personally? Okay, I'll I'll speak to that. It's a really good question. And um, there is a quote I ran into recently that went something like, if we could realize God without the world, the world wouldn't exist. That, That it's through the personal that we touch the sacred, not because we kind of push it aside. So, um, given that for whatever reason, 
our, this awareness has taken shape in bodies, it's through the aliveness of these bodies that we actually experience that universal. And in my experience, it's not different. It's not whether I'm paying attention to my body or to sound, it's the quality of the awareness. When I'm abiding in an open awareness, what can come up is a sense of bodily sensations or sound or the image of you right now. And if I'm really resting in openness, then I'm connected with the source, which is openness. And any content, any wave can arise. So I don't distinguish between waves of sensation or waves of images or waves of sound. It's the quality of the awareness that's receiving them. Okay? The comment is, I enjoy thoughts, and if they can be um, held in a way without a lot of attachment, then they're wonderful. And I completely agree. Um, so, and this is where we were going to go um, in our second half, which is that there is a intrinsic role for um, what's called skillful or wholesome thoughts that creates an atmosphere on the spiritual path that's quite beautiful. It doesn't it's not the source of truth, but there are, gu- there are guides that create an atmosphere that can be wonderful. Because we are so habituated to being lost, it's an essential skill to know how to wake up out of thoughts. And so to, to develop a training every day where for at least a certain amount of time you're just practicing not being lost in thoughts is a really beautiful gift to your consciousness. But for much of the day, your choice might not be to put aside thoughts. It might be to, just as you describe, enjoy them in a non-attached way and let them be part of the fabric of this world. So it's a, it's a really good point. And in two weeks, when we go back in, I'm going to be talking a lot about how to discriminate between wholesome and unwholesome thoughts and how you can use thoughts in a skillful way to really deepen your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.